0: Hello everyone! Welcome to this roundup. From artificial intelligence to robotics, blockchain to cryptocurrencies, internet to brainnet, virtual reality to augmented reality, Internet of Things to Internet of Everything, autonomous vehicles to smart vehicles, CRISPR technology to brain mapping, gene editing to stem cell therapies, drones to flying cars, nanotechnology to biotechnology when we face fundamental transformation from such broad range of existing and emerging technologies, it is important to understand and evaluate whether these technology trends will fundamentally challenge our very idea about what it means to be a human. A discussion about the technology trends is to predict the future of humanity. It is about understanding how the technology trends disruption And the associated transformation impacts the human condition, human survival, sustainability, and security in cyberspace, geospace, and space, in short, referred to as CGS. So as we stand upon the precipice of change and prepare for the inevitable transformation of human ecosystem, a discussion focused on the technology trends and future of humanity is necessary to understand how technology trends will impact humanity in the coming years. To discuss technology trends and future of humanity further, I'm honored to welcome Dr. Natasha Vaitamore to Risk Roundup. Dr. Vaitamore is a professor at UAT, executive director at Humanity, author and co-editor of the Transhumanist Reader and lead science researcher of Memory Project.
1: Welcome, Dr. Natasha. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you. It's a delight to be here, and I think this is a very immediate and necessary topics, so I congratulate you on being a thought leader in this arena.
0: Thank you so much and uh, uh, we look forward to this discussion. As you said, it is a very important topic and each one of us across nations currently stand on the verge of the most turbulent and transformative period in all of human history. The changes and challenges of the ongoing technology trigger transformation are so profound that from the perspective of human history, there has never been a time of greater promise or potential greater peril. So out of the many technology trends emerging in your assessment, which technology trends are rapidly reshaping, not just the daily life of individuals, but entities across nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia, the society in general, and the broader humanity, Allowing each one of us individually and collectively
1: to reimagine what is possible. There are so many different fields that are integrated in this symbiosis of change and paradigmatic shift that humanity as a species is facing. And there are some areas of the world, such as in the Western world and some sophisticated universities throughout all of the world. That are aware of this, yet there's a very large portion of the populace that is not blinded to it, but just simply has not received the information. Not uh, because they don't have the internet; some do. It's just not a topic of discussion. The topic of discussion there may be uh, more based on economics, or you know, terrorism, or you know, immediate survival for food and water and shelter. However. Putting that aside for a moment, although it is a very important topic, the rest of the world is accelerating exponentially. And the technology, in my view, that is most immediate and pertinent for people to learn about is artificial intelligence. That does not lessen the fact that genetic engineering could affect the uh, human nature, um, especially done at the uh, basic hereditary level of intervening with perhaps what you might say an X factor or what um, that element of, of humanity. However, humanity dates back to the early hominids. We also carry the genes of the Neanderthal in our bodies, not to mention mitochondria, which is not a human. It's another organism that we survived with, that we developed with, that we evolved with, and that still is part of our ATP or our energy processing center. But specifically, artificial intelligence.
0: Yes, you're absolutely right, because artificial intelligence is the new electricity. And as we continue to explore human ecosystem on the back of technology, the hope is to individually and collectively come up with ideas, imagination, innovation, and inventions to not only bring security for humanity in cyberspace, geospace, and space, but also challenge ourselves to bring progress and development for humanity. So, the future of humanity comprises everything from uh, that will ever happen to any of us individually and collectively and understanding technology trends is about understanding what what in what ways humanity will change in the coming years so as we individually and collectively reimagine what's possible And what is going to happen in the human, what is changing in the human ecosystem? And how will the human ecosystem look like in the coming years? What do you see? What kind of
1: changes do you see happening to our human ecosystem? Uh, um, It depends on the, the, uh, not prediction, but forecasting and strategic planning and scenario development. For example, it's a fact that we know our cognitive processes, our neural network, is is good it's a an excellent functioning apparatus for our consciousness our awareness our learning our our intellection etc but not so good at problem solving uh the brain stem our emotional factor often called the reptilian part of our brain is the fight or flight and that interferes with our decision making so no matter how objective one thinks he or she are or what how objective a council like a bioethics council or a legislation or policy making or governance thinks it is it simply is not and that 's a fact we have to face um, so we need artificial intelligence to help supplement to uh, as an appendage to our ability to problem solve and the reason why this is so important, and I consider it the most necessary technology for human evolution and sustainability is because we have many problems in the world. And we know this, not only environmental problems, but social problems, political problems, problems about space, what choices to make, how to govern. We need artificial intelligence as an objective mechanism to be an appendage to our own thinking processes to help us better identify, now identify truth or fact. Now here's another area that I think is extremely important. It's called big data, which you obviously know about. Big data is a buzzword in the mainstream, but what it really means um, in the back end is that we are gaining so much information that we don't know how to sort it out and we don't have time. If you speak to a medical doctor, for example, who's being very upfront with you, he or she will say, you know, I'd have to go Google that. I'm, I'm an expert in my specific area, but there may be crossovers to another area that could affect you know, positive or negatively, a physical, or your physiology or your disease or your aging process. So we need the assortment and the refining and categorization of information to help not only the medical profession, but every single profession, every field across the transdisciplinary and multidisciplinary arena to help us better sort out all the information that is at our fingertips, but we just simply don't have the brain power or the the functionality to do it. You could say every human has ADD, <laughs> but um, a program would objectively sort it. Now the, your argument to me could be, well, wait a minute, how do you know AI is objective? What if it's programmed to have some faulty error coding in it that would manipulate our information and therefore cause a damage to humanity? Well, that could be under the, um, the umbrella of existential risk. And there are certain risks that could be risks, not only to our environment, but to humanity uh, specifically. And one of the risks would be artificial intelligence that is dangerous or manipulates humanity, or in the case of superintelligence, where intelligence develops not only sapience, but sentience, where it is able to um, build out awareness and make decisions on its own without our jurisdiction and therefore evolve on its own. Well, that is one scenario of the future and it probably will happen. However, just like a child, you know, you look mm-hmm. at a child, a baby becomes a two-year-old and a naughty two-year-old and we need to learn the the um, behavioral skills and guidance to help it. And I think we'll have the same type of issue with self-evolving artificial intelligence. Yes, I, I,
0: I think so too. And uh, um, as you said that these are such complex challenges and AI is going to be embedded in everything. We as individuals or entities across NGO, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia do today or will do in the coming tomorrow. And AI is likely going to improve the ways, you know, we do everything because it will give us that uh, collective intelligence ability. And it will give us that very rapid, you know, assessment of things that only AI or machines can do that. And so it is going to likely change how we communicate, live, work and experience Mm -hmm. the world. So... AI technology, if we look into that, is going to be built into every single interactions that we will have in the coming tomorrow. So, from your perspective, what are the key AI trends that you see that are already underway and they are sweeping away the old, uh, you know, way of doing things and ushering in the new technology forces? based on the ai that will shape the future of humanity you know in a man-made ecosystem or natural ecosystem so whatever you see cyberspace geospace and space
1: a uh, good question we already have narrow ai which is narrow ai is is task oriented it's it's been around for a very long time it's our cell phones are task oriented um even our old um Recording machines. I mean, if anyone remembers them, when someone calls us on the telephone, and our, our machine would pick up and and record the, the um, the message being left for us. Anything that we use in our automobiles and our kitchen, you know, tools, everything does have a microchip in it, and that microchip is really essentially narrow AI. However, in the coming decades, what is being researched now to answer your question is that looking at how um, artificial intelligence can be used specifically. Biggest issue and biggest um, probably investment is big data, organizing information. Uh, it sounds kind of boring. It sounds like a, a hard task to do, like being in an office filing everything. But the the companies that develop the smartest ways to do gather and collect and sort information will be the the, the leading um, companies and software engineering. Outside of that, we need better decision making so here we go into the uh, taking it from being sorting big data, which again seems like a boring job, but it 's fascinating <laughs> is governance looking at uh, global issues, uh, not only environmental issues like we have this here and this here what is what are the scenarios and the AI would build out scenarios just like a futurist would today or a strategist would today, and then we as humans can look at. The information delivered to us, and then make our our bids, our our you know vote on what is best. So from the the bottom up, we need objectivity and just information gathering, and then at the top level, humans can decide through their conscience. Um, which there'll be a little bit of morality and bias in there because that's who we are, but that's good. Then that would be a stopgap. So rather than humans gathering information for a political party or a rule or legislation or a voting principle in governance, which sometimes pushes what we don't like away and doesn't deliver it or is more advertisers or campaigns for what we personally do want, we would have that information delivered objectively or more objectively just as data. Then we decide through our morals, our conscience, our, our, our values, what is best. So that is a big area that is needed so soon I'm just taking a look at the United States and and the Republicans and Democrats and, you know, out of two choices of who to elect for president, neither one was who the people really wanted. Although Trump did offer a certain resolve and getting past behavior and personality, that resolve people wanted, whereas Clinton um, had the women vote and and Hollywood and who cares about Hollywood and and that. But it's 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 so messed up. And I see this particular pattern throughout the world. People say on, a, on an individual basis, it's messed up. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, I asked our Senator for the state I live in, um, if he thought that people should go, that the, that, uh, the FDA, Federal Drug Administration um, employees or decision makers and politicians should go back to school and learn current technologies, current issues in society are just like, Medical doctors have to go back to school with the American Medical Association to keep up their certification. Attorneys have to go back to school for the Bar Association to keep up their um, uh, certificate or their their legal stance in um, defending law or presenting law. The FDA should go back to school and, for goodness sakes, learn about the terms, the technology, the advances in society, because that is a big mogul. And that is um, manipulates when drugs can be released to help people. And it's it's very political and, and very um, very tight. So everyone needs to go back to school. Um, continuous learning is necessary for anyone empower anyone making decisions. And going back to your show and what you talk about, every person in society needs to know what's going on. Every human that participates and doesn't participate in society needs to know the pros and cons of these emerging and speculative and exponential technologies that are changing what it means to be human. I mentioned AI as a very um, necessary one to help us resolve problems, but it's not going to be the one that helps us evolve to the next stage. Um, nanotechnology, where we have molecular manufacturing, is a technology that could help bring about abundance. Consider the 3D printer or desktop printer. You need a keychain, you print it out. You need a, a coffee mug, you print it out. So taking that many steps forward into the future, we need a house, we build it. Don't need the house, That material is recycled into perhaps a street. Don't need a street. Perhaps that material is reassessed and reformed into something else like a bridge. So molecular manufacturing, according to K. Eric Drexler, who is the father of nanotechnology, in his wonderful, wonderful book, Engines of Creation, talks about molecular manufacturing stemming from nanotechnology and where it could resolve a lot of the issues we face today such as clean water and housing and medical supplies. So you have AI on the one hand that would help us gain better cognitive awareness of problems to solve. You have another technology that will affect humanity being the future of nanotechnology. The um, so the, those two are primary, of course, genetic engineering, too, as you mentioned in your intro, to remove certain um, genes that cause horrific diseases like Tracex or sickle cell anemia or cancers or, or ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. These diseases are horrific. And you think of children in these hospitals throughout the world who are suffering from debilitating diseases and our heart goes out to them. We need genetic engineering to help these children and, and elderly people, all people and stem cells and whatnot. So within the field of biotechnology, that's really important on the immediate end to help people stay alive, to live a healthy, well-meaning, meaningful uh, life.
0: Yes, absolutely. No, you are right about the nanotechnology and molecular manufacturing because it is fundamentally, if once we reach that commercial stage of that, it is going to fundamentally reverse even the need for the global uh, globalization because each country will be able to manufacture whatever they need on their own. So there would not be need for globalization or this trading that we are doing. And in addition to molecular manufacturing, synthetic biology also will give us the power to produce anything using the, you know, uh, creating the uh, organism with the genome that we want uh, and we can create everything, uh, produce everything naturally. So uh, a lot of fundamental changes are coming uh, our way. But before we go on those discussions, uh, the power of AI will come from the big data. And we do need, need to have that collective information or the collective data from across nations. It is very important that we have the communi- communication technology and connectivity in reaching each and every uh, region of the world, each and every individual. Mm-hmm. And we see that Google's solar drone to Facebook's solar drone and Elon Musk's internet uh, satellite system, there are so many efforts uh, ongoing to connect every single individual across nations. And as as we evaluate this technology that is connecting the world, which has already connected probably billions of people today, and that number is just going to keep increasing exponentially. What impact do you see to the future of humanity and also even the quality of the intelligence, machine intelligence that we are able to develop based on the data that we collect from across nations. Where do you see the communication technology and the resulting connectivity taking us individually and collectively and give us the power of that big data and machine learning to provide the solutions that we we need so badly for so many complex problems we are facing as humanity?
1: I was smiling because you were going towards, uh, back to the, what does it mean to be human, and and what is the technology really doing for us, or is it just a thing over there that supplements or augments us? I mean, where does it fit in our family of, of uh, life and being a part of life, and it ha- it is a part of life, so it's an it's an inanimate object that we anthropomorphize, but maybe that's a good thing because otherwise we would kick it like our you know I, I, I was speaking to roboticists and he said, oh I kick the robot and I said, oh my gosh no 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 don't kick the robot I would never kick my table or my chair you know I mean, just the thought of that is 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 a bore to me however, this is one of the big issues that we have to face we're not We, all of us, you know, in our respective fields and disciplines, we are not just anthropomorphizing technology or using technology or building technology to help us. We are merging with it. And that um, coalescence of biology with um, code. Uh, with a computational system is what we have to admit that that's what's going on. Just as we carry Neanderthal genes, most of us um, carry Neanderthal genes and all of us carry mitochondria, which is not human, but we survived with it. And we could not have survived without it because it does produce the energy, the ATP. Um, we're going to have to face the fact that in order to survive with all the complexities of these issues is by merging, augmenting, or enhancing with technology, and we've done that with our, you know, smart devices. We're doing that with, you know, um, the computer. We're doing that with robotics for prosthetics that have haptic systems and connect to the brain. Stephen Hawking, um, who recently passed away, is someone who survived ALS for many years because he integrated or merged with the machine with technology. So the bigger issue here is, what for? Why do we care? I mean, with the lifespan that we have, why do we care? What's the, this is why we care. And now this may be assumption on my part, but I've given it tremendous thought over the, the past many decades. And it seems to me that most people, if given an option to live a healthy life or to perish, to die they would choose a healthy life. Further, if people, generally speaking, were given an option to uh, mitigate the aging process, which is debilitating, they would most likely mitigate and slow down aging and in some instances, reverse aging. And if you ask someone anyone, no matter what political party, what religious view, what nationality or ethnicity. Would you like to live long enough to see your grandchildren go to college? Oh, yes, yes. Or or go into the farming or uh, invent something to help your society. Yes, they would. So, if you add all this up, it comes to a couple of hundred years. Bottom line, if you ask people, Would you rather live a long, healthy life with meaningfulness and purposefulness and, you know, love and and, um, curiosity and uh, amelioration and um, kindness, you know, being a part of society and being nurtured and nurturing others, people would say yes. So... What is the real purpose of all this technology, like nanomedicine, which goes into the body and resolves certain you know, cellular damage or, or organ damage and molecular manufacturing, as you said, you know, the abundance, you know, delivering what people need, and the artificial intelligence to help our, not only our outside intelligence or problems but also augment our own intelligence? The issue becomes, how long will people live and? If the definition of human is a biological species that has a specific lifespan of from zero to approximately, the the longest anyone's lived is Jean Cromot. I have her picture on my wall there with me. Uh, She lived to 123 years. Um, No one has ever lived past maybe 123 and a half years. That is the maximum lifespan. um, lifespan is in certainly increasing in many areas throughout the world. People who um, in the past maybe lived to 70 are now living to 80, living to 90. My mother just passed away in her 100th year. Um, so people are living longer. So we want to live longer, but we want to live healthy. Seeing my mother with dementia was just awful. And this is something that children go through when we take on the the role of being the parent taking on our elderly parents or grandparents. It's shocking and surprising and daunting, but it's something that is is our responsibility and our privilege. However, Alzheimer's and dementia are horrific diseases. So here's where AI comes in. So we need to reverse a lot of the damage of the uh, neurological damage in and Uh, problems with the synapses in the brain and making connections and resolve that if we're going to live longer. But bottom line, what does it mean to be human And all this? We're going to have to merge with technology to be transhuman, to live a longer, healthier lives, Um, not drooling in, in wheelchairs. I don't mean that at all, but healthy, long lives and travel across the, the our solar system, build out new habitats, new t- space tourism, go to Mars, set up habitats on the moon. It's exciting.
0: It is. It is. It is very exciting. And like you said, you know, uh, people want to live longer and maybe they will be able to live forever now with the, you know, advances in technology where we can uh, do the brain uploading and then the the technologies are advancing so rapidly that we can create an avatar, you know, personalized avatar. And then, with that uh, brain, the memory, and everything that has been uploaded, uh, we can live in digital format forever. And my kids are, you know, hoping for that. That, you know, <laughs> by the time, you know, too. <laughs> next few years, that they, there will be technology that, you know, before anything happens to me, that they can upload my brain and they can create an avatar so they can talk to me all the time. So they are hoping for that. And uh, they are uh, trying to, you know, work towards that. So who knows? You know, that uh, digital format we will live forever. But uh, there are. Before we go into details of how you know the stem cell regenerative medicine can, uh, you know, help. Uh, create all, I mean, manage all these health complex uh, uh, neurological problems and, you know, reverse the aging process and all that, there are a lot of, you know, advances happening and with also advances in brain mapping, there is a great hope that we will be able to solve many of the complex neurological problems that are happening and other, you know, chronic diseases, then we will be able to uh, give the healthy life that, you know, all individuals deserve in a much more affordable and, you know, economical way. So uh, let's hope that you know those advances are able to give us that uh, necessary fundamental uh, reversal the way we do uh, the way we manage the disease symptoms these days. So, and but before we go there, there are many who say that in the coming years we will see the gradual transition from an internet to a brain net, and I in which these thoughts and emotions and feelings and memories might be transmitted instantly. Across the planet, and that is going to be really f- phenomenal because if we are able to connect uh, just to you know brain I and mean, t- uh, this it just uh, you know brain to brain, you know, uh, then uh, if we integrate that with AI, I mean, think about the possibilities and potential of what could go right and what could go wrong, and uh, what the impact would be on the humanity.
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, There's not one future, there's many futures. I remember a book uh, written by Arthur C. Clarke, who was a science fiction writer and quite a brilliant thinker, um, called Childhood's End. And I haven't read, I think I've read probably two science fiction books. Um, But I, I... I did read the last part of this book or somewhere in it. And I didn't like the ending. It's where everyone became a conglomerate. All the brains went together. And that's not the future I want. I like my individuality. I like being a person. I like having my personhood um, within my core, which currently is a biological form. I have no problem. In fact, I look forward to uploading. I look forward to having sub-identities what I call multiple selves within different environments. One could be in uploaded into an environment within a computational system, like a very, very sophisticated second life. And second life's fun. It's fun to go there um, or in a game. Uh, the gaming uh, industry is, is reaching the heights of Hollywood, you know, moguls uh, like uh, 20th century Fox and Paramount and, you know, these Samuel Goldwyn, Golden these big, uh, companies that put out you know, films. The uh, gaming industry, they're called AAAs at this time, but you know, there's a lot of indies, a lot of independents building games. Uh, so uh, you can take on a character in a game. Now games don't have to be just about fighting and this and that. Games can be used to help people with psychoses, people with phobias, uh, learning mechanisms, training mechanisms for people so I think that we can have an identity in a game, for example, have an identity in a computational system, have identity in this material physical world and so many different environments that are yet to be developed. And you mentioned um, the, the internet of mind, um, I'm, I mean, I'm misquoting the term you used, but um, to have brain to brain communication, I think would be great. We already witnessed that in a film um, called Cocoon. Remember that film, Cocoon, it was in the 1980s, I believe, where these elderly people are living in an old folks home, uh, not uh, assisted living, not hospice, and they find a swimming pool and they start going swimming for fun to get exercise. And all of a sudden they start becoming younger and um, not physically, not their outward appearance, but inside their bodies are regenerating and they want to keep on living. And then there's a couple that don't want to do it, that are afraid of it and they opt out and they die, but the others go on and live. So there's not one, one, um, one future. I think that Rather than what in the 1970s, and especially in the 1980s, and and in the postmodernist rhetoric in the 1990s, they said, the transhumanist future is going to be so homogenous, everyone's going to look like, you know, Natasha Vita Moore's future human body, prima post-human, and and everyone will look exactly as I'm going, no, no, that was a prototype of how the human body could integrate Technology for sustainability and be also a whole body prosthetic. So, if this body's weak and you need another body, why shouldn't we have different bodies like different suits? You know, as long as our brain can be transferred into them. And that continuity the issue here is a philosophical one, but it's also an ethical one continuity of identity. Um, The uh, opposite side of that, which would be a, um, a negative, something that we should be aware of that could go wrong, would be fractured identity. If we're uploading or living in multiple environments, multiple substrates, et cetera, that we don't want to be schizoid. We don't want schizophrenia where we're fractured all over the place and we don't know where's my where's my real self or my true self. So. Um, I've given this a tremendous amount of thought, and my my husband, in his PhD dissertation, wrote about the continuity of identity. So I really learned a lot from him in this regard, as well as being in the in the in, in the media design, where identity is really important, especially with within academics and philosophy and and theory. So the uh, you would have to have a core identity, whether it's in the biological body or in some kind of secure um, trust. And then you have sub-identities. Just like right now, I'm talking to you. I'm devoted to you and answering your questions for you and and your audience, because I know they must be highly sophisticated thinkers or really curious learners. And then i'm thinking about my two dogs my golden doodles who are outside the door being very good also thinking about my students and what i have to do today and i'm also thinking about you know what's for breakfast and then that chapter i just i worked on for uh oxford university book so i am split right now but i'm my core is here so in our brains because our brains are so delightful in dealing with these sub thoughts, rather than being ADD and schizophrenia all over the place, our core brain, our mind brings us together. And everyone, there's no one who is exempt from this, we have multiple things going on in our minds and but a healthy mind a healthy brain will organize them so they don't dominate an unhealthy brain will allow them to dominate and there you have split personality or schizophrenia and these other mental um phobias and psychoses which can be very you know disruptive even depression things like that can be disruptive because you go into that vein of negativity or fear or worry or sorrow so that's something we need to think about when we're talking about transferring mind into multiple uh, levels or even the Internet of mind. If, if everyone's connecting mind to mind, well, wait a minute, which part of my mind are you connecting to?
0: That, that is the key. That is a very important uh, point because if we have, if we develop that brain, uh, then are we going to transfer everything that is in our brain? You know, uh, is everyone going to be able to see what we have in our brain and mind? So it's going to be very complex challenge, security challenges emerging from that. And both brain and computers use electrical signals to send messages or, and, you know, uh, they both uh, transmit information and it seems that the human right. thing- We use chemicals to transmit information, whereas the computer uses electricity. So while the connected computers through electricity are able to transmit information, we humans still do not have the capacity to transmit information in a form that transcends the geographical location or physical barriers without the assistance or some sort of physical medium you know like right now currently we are using phones and uh, you know computers and things like that so while the efforts towards brain net are developing it seems uh, that it is currently po- probably possible to implant a chip in the brain and even get one to respond to or stimulus or stimulate it uh, to give the neural activity. But do we understand the brain's nuance well enough to create the kind of interface that will let us surf the, you know, internet or uh, let us connect, you know, brain to brain to anyone across nations by simply thinking about it? Are we close to be able to control devices via microchips in- implanted in our brains? And if we are able to do it, What implications it has for humanity? Just as you have been talking, these are very complex challenges. You know, it not only goes to the core of the identity that we Mm. as individuals, you know, would like to maintain in a secure manner, in a private manner, but Mm. how are we going to differentiate what gets you know communicated through our brain and mind?
1: You know, it's interesting. Because we're in an industrial I mean sorry, we are not because we're in an information age and a computer age the we think the tool or the only tool is the computer or a computational code however i look at my dogs and i watch them at the park sniffing and sometimes a lot of the dogs will go to this one area of the park and they'll sniff and we can't get them away there's something that they're smelling that is enticing to them have you ever noticed a cat or even a dog? They sense your feelings. If you're angry, I have one dog. If I'm in my study and I'm frustrated about something I'm working on, and go mm, you know, <laughs> My dog will get up and just go mm, and leave the room. Or if I'm in a bad mood, that dog will just walk away from me. He does not want to put up with any of my crap. Uh, the puppy, not so much. He hasn't, he hasn't learned his skills cats have a similar thing. There's uh, escalation among certain um, sea life that can feel. So what I'm getting at here is maybe we can already do that, but we don't have the sensorial makeup to do it, or we haven't opened up that sensorial makeup to feel and be able to communicate. Now, we know that uh, through the work of of various fields, especially psychology and human behavior, that body language can tell us what someone's doing. If someone backs off and go, uh oh, they either have bad breath or they don't like me. If someone's coming close, it's like, uh oh, they, they can't hear me or they're coming on to me. You know, it's, uh, you can tell by body language how confident a person is, if they're interested in you, if they're engaged with you. So we already have that. Now, our smell is tied to memory. So our olfactory sense, which is one of our greatest senses, triggers our brain for memory. So if there is something as a child that you love, that your, say, your mom or your dad pancakes or some kind of omelet or something, you know, that's based in your particular region in the world and you live someplace else and maybe 20, 30 years later, you smell that, you will most likely have a memory of that, something will, you won't, might not even see it or hear it, but you'll have some kind of semblance of knowledge or relationship. So we already have tools, dreams, dreams, um, you know, if you're Jungian with dreams or Freudian with, with life, it doesn't matter. Dreams do collectively take experiences, experiential information and visual information, auditory information, and even Um, kinesthetic information and and, and mix it up in our dreams and sometimes they're haunting and daunting and sometimes they're delightful and joyous. We don't know. So what I'm getting at is there could be ways that we could connect that we haven't uncovered because we're so caught in a computational world rather than, and you mentioned it early, a chemical world. Our brain is based on chemistry. Our body is based on chemistry. And so we're affording using affordance theory with computers to envision the future where it may be over there. Maybe there's something within our senses that have not been opened up yet. And here you can get into issues of many worlds theory or, you know, uh, multiple selves and, and, and uh, other types of, of, uh, where maybe we're in a simulation, which I don't think so, but who knows? And The aim of human nature and what it means to be human is to use the tools that we have to try to uncover why we're here. What is existence? And this is the quintessential philosophical question. What is existence? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Did we evolve from the marshes, as Dr. Lynn Margolay said, in What is Life? In her research about the ericadites and how bacteria, this conglomeration of bacteria, evolved into life, which evolved into where we are today through this long millions and millions of years of evolution. We are at an evolutionary juncture. We can remain as a species biological and uh, remain humans, homo sapiens sapiens from the hominid, from the homo. Or we can evolve, we can continue being explorers and use our curiosity to uncover and use the idea of amelioration to problem solve and then transcend. And those three strategies are innate. And the human has been doing it since we first came out of the Australopithecus and, and evolved with our frontal lobe along with other hominids. And then we eventually, the homo sapiens, survived. Uh, so then it's a question of survival and what we need. Technology has helped us so far, but maybe technology will open up a whole new arena of other things, I mean, there's psychics on TV. There's a new Hollywood psychic. I can't remember his name. And I'm not into psychics. I I I go, uh, you know, I don't know. I, <laughs> who knows though? I I can't say there's no no God. I can't say that Jesus never existed. I can't say that there's not the Holy Spirit because I know inside of me there is a conscience, a um, a quality of consciousness that is. Um, you know, you it is a life force and there is guilt and awareness, and when I do something wrong, I want to correct it. And you know, you, there's the saying of having on the devil on the one shoulder and the angel on the other, what to do, you know, do I eat the chocolate or do I go to the gym? That type of thing. So um to minimize it and, and but there there is some core of being human that is drives us to do what is considered what we have said to be the right thing but who is determined what the right thing is i agree with you we are in this in this area and we must not stop go forward keep on evolving and i don't know if the internet mind will Will be something like second life, but where you're so interconnected that, you know, it's fun. Or maybe people get tired of it or you can opt in and opt out. But I think it would have to be a chip, as you say. I think that well, it would have to be a chip.
0: Yes, we'll have to see, you know, how it evolves. But uh, like you said, there are so many possibilities and there are so many futures that await for us. We'll have to collectively decide which future for the humanity makes sense for, uh, you know, all of us. So uh, there is another, you know... Variable that comes into the human evolution process is the CRISPR technology, uh, and in China, CRISPR is already used. If we talk about the healthcare, the, in the first human trial, and it seems that in the near future, people in US and Europe will also start getting treated for diseases using the gene editing tool CRISPR. But if we look at the broader implications of uh, CRISPR and uh, the advances in st- stem style therapy and uh, how it impacts uh, and the brain mapping the technology that is giving us power to be able to reprogram human biology uh from many diseases and aging processes, and it seems we'll be able to create as we talked before the avatars for individuals for from all the information they have left behind in digital format so uh we now have at our disposal so many different uh Technologies and uh, their platforms, which we can use to get the longevity and uh, uh, you know, treat all these chronic diseases, reverse aging, and uh, uh, solve a lot of neurological problems. And as uh, neuroscientists are finding ways. To advance the brain mapping that will give us a treasure trove into how human mind works, and the world is also uh, at the same time fearing that the potential threats of neuro hacking. Because if we have, if we are using brain and mm-hmm. we have uh, chips in that, or we are developing brain technologies, then um, as we read individual minds uh, with machines. We are also getting closer to uh, getting neuro hacking. So, there are a lot of complex challenges emerging and there are many social impacts that we have to consider and uh, as we go forward, how are we going to deal with all these complex challenges with the, not that, our neuroscience understanding is not that uh, advanced. So we have to be very, very cautious in how we take the next step when we try to integrate uh, chips into our uh, human brain as we try to uh, develop the brain.
1: So there are very, very complex challenges coming our way. I see two issues here. The first issue is, Openness, Open source, I believe, was coined by Christine Peterson at the Foresight Institute, um, who was the partner of married to uh, Eric Drexler of nanotechnology, um, to kind of situate her as, a, as a, a very interesting thought leader and a woman in her own right who is, is, is quite intelligent. She came up with the idea of open source or she claims to have, and and I think that's probably correct. Uh, Open source, we share information. The open source revolution was, wow, used to be competitive. I have my code, you have your code, I'm not sharing my information, then open source happened. And people would put their codes up on the internet and say, here, I've done this, I'm giving it to you for free. If you can improve on it, great. That's what Wikipedia is all about. Now, Wikipedia, now this is the other issue. Wikipedia can be hacked by anyone. Anyone can take on a false identity and go into someone's Wikipedia article and change stuff. And that's happened to my profile on Wikipedia so many times. And so it's it's annoying when, you, when someone changes history because they want to promote themselves. So then we get into that psychological issue of people trying to self-promote, which is, you know, Yeah, just, so then it's an issue of psychology. People, humans are not mature enough to realize everyone can have his or her own fame or position in the world. Just find your own. Don't take someone else's, don't parrot someone else. Find your own place in the world because there's plenty, there's room enough for everyone to have his or her identity and career and position in the world. So open source, meaning, Now I'm gonna take this to the next step and then I'll go to the uh, part two. Open source would mean everyone tells the truth. If everyone tells the truth and no one's hiding anything, what difference does it make? For example, historically, in the 1950s, well, I was born in 1950. So let's just say in the 1950s, from my firsthand experience in, in recollection, if someone in their family had a parent who was alcoholic, no one said, Shh. if you had a family member who was mentally ill or deformed, Nothing. Okay, fast forward to the 1970s, kind of self-help, salt me still sh- no one said anything. AA started coming up, people started going, but no one said anything. 1990s, people started saying, okay, I'm a therapist, or I'm on antidepressants. So it was in the mid-1990s, people started admitting to things. 2000, if you're an alcoholic, it's okay we'll give you a soda. You don't have to hide it or pretend. If you have someone in your family who is schizophrenic, which my eldest brother did, and I loved him dearly, I changed my name to Natasha because he thought I was Natasha. Then the name Natasha rang off his his lips, and I liked it better than my birth name. But I loved him so much, he was brilliant. He introduced me to dance, to poetry, to the arts, everything. Okay, so... If you have someone in your family who's schizophrenic, I just announced it publicly in social media. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you're diminished. Almost every single family has someone in their family who has a mental disorder or difference or otherness, or who in their family is, uh, has a, um, a habit or an addiction to something, whether it's alcohol or um, opiates or something, this is prevalent, we admit it, it's not shameful anymore. So imagine a future where everyone, no matter what you did uh, politically, psychologically, sexually, it's okay, because we're a diverse society and we accept each other. If you're a good person, now, if you're a real jerk and it's someone who is mean and, and evil or horrible, then that's another thing. Okay, so Okay, so it could be a society, like a book written called The Truth Machine. And it was written in the 1990s about if everyone told the truth. What if you just, there was, there was no hiding. Okay, that's a possibility for a future society. Okay, part two, now switching, pivoting gears here. Part two is I have many students um, who are in network security, network engineering, and technology forensics. And I talk to them about these things. I talk to them about the future. And I, I, I say to them, or I ask to them, How can I protect myself on the internet so I don't get hacked? What can I do? What is the best security software out there so that I'm protecting my smart devices, everything? The answer, one single answer, don't turn on. (laughs) There is nothing that is foolproof. There is nothing that absolutely will not hack you. If you plug in, turn on, you're vulnerable. We just do the best we can. Yes, so is. in looking at the future of mind hacking, and it's probably going to happen just like I get viruses on my computer all the time, and no matter what, I have tried so many different you know, software to prevent, you know, getting um, any type of, what do you call it, spam, or I mean, no, um, virus, we get viruses. You get a virus, I get a virus. No matter, I get vaccine, I still get some kind of uh, hybrid of the virus. Okay, so there's there's no way that we can 100% protect ourselves. That's why we have to be continually learning, continually adapting and be aware. So yeah, it, the, so okay, now we get into the issues stemming from the, the second part here about the asking my students and network security. We have to really, invest more of our um, our governance our monies our taxes everything no matter where you live in the world in uh, students and adults learning uh, how to hack and how not to be hacked and what the hackers are doing so we're aware just understand your body and when you go to the doctor you say I you can have a conversation you're not just being told what to do same with very true
0: now but but one, but one area that really concerns me is that if uh, this neuro hacking is possible, then it's also possible that uh, people will be able to implant false memories into. Uh, those human beings. So uh, that creates very complex challenges because if we, you know, get uh, false memories uh, somehow, you know, using the brain net and neurohacking capabilities, if people are able to uh, implant false memories, then it uh, changes the very core identity because individuals won't uh, uh, remember who they are and they will be very confused. They will have uh, false identity developing, but that's a whole, you know, another topic that we need to discuss. And there are so many uh, complex uh, security challenges emerges from that. But another area that really concerns me uh, that I think is very, very important for the future of humanity is the synthetic biology that integrates computational analysis and biological data and the systems engineering uh, paradigm in the design of these new biological machines and systems Uh, that can hold inspiring vision for the future of humanity, but it also uh, gives the power to this uh, terrorist and uh, uh, people who want to cause damage to the humanity to create uh, uh, entirely new organisms and species that uh, uh, could either, you know, create, uh, spread complex diseases or wipe out the uh, certain segments of the human populations. And because here we are talking about manipulating genetic code and, you know, creating um, writing the genetic code and creating entirely New organisms. So it looks like that we are trying to attempt to probe the origins of life. We are trying to uh, probably redefine the very meaning of evolution here.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you 100% on all those points. So it gets back down to the fundamentals. You know, what is it, why do we still have wars in um, Geisa Strip? why are why is Afghanistan and different countries um belittling women, and why do the women allow it why are why do some governances um, manipulate their people so horribly so it gets down to human psychology and it seems like those areas, whether it 's putting bombs on children and putting them out into a crowd or um Convincing your, 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 your country, your people that you are the best in the world and everyone else is horrible. I'm not going to name the countries <laughs> here. Um, but yeah, we see this going on. Okay. So then it gets down to how can we progress forward in building out this vision of the future with technology and science while at the same time our human level psychology is sick? So that's why I think AI, and I mentioned it earlier, um, is the most <laughs> important because AI could help us figure out how to deal with these these continued wars, these continued suffering, the the um because we can't do it with our policy making as it's been done now. Trade wars, come on, you know, this is not working. It's simply not working. Threatening countries is not working. Uh, There's got to be something that is so clear on a level that we can't see that would resolve some of these things. Maybe, you know, why are our children giving guns in these countries and fighting, you know, I mean, look at the whole Middle East, you know, West Asia, Eastern Europe. I mean, it's it's just, this is never ending. It just keeps on going on and on and on. So, Nothing's working so far, going in and bombing, going in and or trying to negotiate the United Nations. It's just not working. So what is it that we can give, that we can bestow, that we can share, that would stop this? If it's a matter of a little piece of land, why don't we create another piece of land? Why don't we build it with molecular manufacturing another a strip? You know, why can't there be two? I know the Holy Land and the and and all this. It's it's um, it's so sequestered to a religious historical belief, but something's not working there. And it's not my right or my role to even proclaim or profess any knowledge or any insight into this because I'm not part of it. But from an outside perspective and as a strategist. I would say it's not working, come on, we need to find something else has to happen.
0: Right. You're absolutely right that something else needs to happen. Technology needs to give us the uh, platform and the power that on which we can build solutions like, you know, how we the communication, the connectivity, communication technology is helping individuals connect from all across nations so we can talk individually, everyone can talk to each other and we can spread our ideas, our thoughts and we can talk about the problems and same way, blockchain technology is going to provide us a, a, a very important fundamental, to long only can create and develop digital systems and the shared economy that we are developing it is probably going to help us to create a collective vision and the ai tool you know based on the machine learning and the artificial intelligence uh, we will be able to create collective intelligence and collectively we will be able to solve you know uh, all the problems because there is no problem that cannot be solved if we all come together as a global community and there is so much to talk about so many technologies and uh, so much impact on the future of humanity that this topic is so broad and so important that there is uh, absolutely no way we can uh, conclude the dialogue in one hour, but we are coming uh, to an end of one hour and uh, uh, we will you know, continue this discussion in many more episodes of Rescounter with many other decision makers all across nations. But what would you like before we go, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about uh, what concerns you most and what is your uh, about what the impact on humanity would be as you look at all these broader technologies?
1: Well, uh, first off, I think that uh, lifelong learning is important, that we need to, everyone needs to learn the terminology of technology and science and understand what, what every term that we've used in this, in this one hour means and where they stem from. Um, also, I think it's very important that we accept each other, that if you want to wear a burqa, I'm no one to say that's wrong. If you uh, want to have one particular religion over another, we have to accept each other's shared diversity. That is essential to get along in the world. The only areas that we should not share is when someone is killing someone else or intentionally hurting someone else. So we need to find the root of that and then give the people what they need because when people kill other people, it's because they need something, they're not being heard. We need to listen to what their needs are and help them get it, whether we agree with it or not. Let them decide. It's their culture, their narrative, their history. And in due time, everyone will evolve to be at a, at a similar level of understanding and uh intellectual communication and discernment and be able to debate on a level with um, more sanity and, and concord. I think that um, that the, the worldview that I've been a pioneer of and that I, I, I support highly because I find that every question that you've asked me in this hour has been discussed by this community of transhumanism. Transhumanism is a worldview that is growing um, more and more because it's not a belief system. It's not a religion. It is a practical-based worldview that is addressing these very issues um, and has been for 20, almost 30, about 30 years, and no, more than 30 years, actually, looking at encryption, looking at cryptocurrencies, looking at privacy, looking at security, looking at life extension, looking at nanotechnology and artificial intelligence and all these issues and understanding it. And it has been very elitist to be sure in Silicon Valley and Los Angeles and New York and London and amongst um, the organization, I'm um, executive director of Humanity Plus and earlier organizations such as XP Institute and WTA and and others. Um, But here we now want to share and and be invited in in this global conversation because there are no egos with this. We have issues everyone is important and everyone has a has a role in it. And I think that that's my final thoughts that you get to a point in your life where your your purpose in life becomes something other than self oriented. It's more looking at yourself with others. And uh, so that's purposefulness.
0: Absolutely, and that is the best advice that you know we all have a voice and we all have a role to play in this uh, shared global economy that we are developing. The digital global age has given us the power on which we can build and we can have this collective, uh, uh, be- with the help of you know artificial intelligence, we can have the collective intelligence and we can uh, all work towards developing uh, our you know sp- going towards the space age. It is you know the collective journey that we have to be concerned about and we have to be working towards. It seems that there has never been a better time for ideas, imagination, and intelligence to create and invent as the existing and emerging technology trends bring so many fundamentally transformative opportunities for humanity. So thank you so much, Dr. Vaitemot, for participating in this roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on technology trends and future of humanity, and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information. You provided on the technology trends and uh, all the organizations that you are affiliated with and you are leading, and uh, especially the transhumanist organization. I have talked to Dr. James Hughes uh, uh, in the beginning of uh, one of our dialogues, and uh, um, th- this is a great work that you all are doing. Uh, there is nothing elitist about uh, these discussions. Uh, it is going to impact each and every individual across nations, so uh, creating education and awareness for all of them is very Important. So, uh, having said that, even if a single individual or entity can come up with an idea to advance further the future of humanity and innovate based on the understanding they receive from the discussion we had today, the discount of dialogue has been of service and we, we thank you for that. Thank you. Wonderful. So, it seems we have reached a point where we do not need to rely on the fancies of nature to address humanity's most pressing calamities. Having said that developing technologies is only one thing, it's what we do with it that matters for the humanity, for the benefit of the humanity. Risk Group, Cybersecurity, GeoSecurity, and Space Security Risk Research Centers are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk-facing NGIOA and cities and nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace work together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the risk roundups, to other the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgrouplsc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jay Shree, host of risk roundups, Signing off. see you next time. Thank you.